Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. Due to the pandemic, we bring you One Bad Mother straight from our homes, including such interruptions as children, animal noises, and more. So let's all get a little closer while we have to be so far apart. And remember, we are doing a good job. This week on One Bad Mother, shh, don't tell, we talk secrets with Disha Filion. Plus, Biz was sick. Woo! I am calling with a woo because <laughs> this is not quite a fail, not quite a genius, just a woo. I forgot that my child was, in fact, a child. Ah. Uh, my eight-year-old is signed up for sleepaway camp for the first time, and while ordering him toiletries to take away with him, I was looking at the body washes, and I said, men's body wash, that's stupid. Body wash is body wash. But then, having already chosen the brand, I realized that the men's body wash was on sale for less than the body wash. So I bought him the men's body wash. We got back, and we smelled it. It did not smell good, because my child is a child, and it's not a man. So... I then ordered him the child's body wash because he's a child. So I have an eight-year-old, and I feel very in between about when <laughs> we're getting things that are, like, geared for children. Is it too cutesy? Is it too young? Or is it what he likes because he is, in fact, a child? Hmm. So that's my woo and my observation and my current crisis. Um, I hope you're all <laughs> doing well. Uh, thanks for bringing us so much joy in Lady Tweak and for your wonderful communities. Thank you. You're all doing a great job. I think we should identify all things as my current crisis. <laughs> First of all, you're doing an amazing job. Second of all, you are right. Eight. Are they adult or are they still child? Yeah, okay, they're still child. Yes. But eight does get into that like tricky area of are they? Do they still want to hold your hand in public? Do they want man body wash? Do they need a razor? Should they start driving? These are all important questions. The thing is, is sometimes we don't really know what the answer is until we're presented with the with a new question each time, right? So, like, hey, you're doing a good job. I get it. The, the man's body wash. Isn't it refreshing to know? That there is still a child living in your house who does not stink yet. And that is excellent. Speaking of things that are excellent, it's time for the weekly thank yous. Thank you. I can never get tired of the thanking roll call, as it were. Thank you, medical workers. You know who you are. You are the wonderful people who continue to care for all of us, whether we have COVID or whether we are just sick or whether we broke a leg or whether we are dealing with a serious medical condition. Thank you to all of the people who staff hospitals and other medical centers, making sure that those stay clean and that they stay safe, and that they are places in which we can come and feel secure. 
Thank you to everybody who just entering all that data. I see you. You're you are very valuable to this entire process. Thank you so much. Vaccinations. Thank you for vaccinations. Thank you for the people who made the vaccinations. Thank you for the people who continue to study the vaccinations to find out how the vaccinations are affecting us and helping us fight this still going pandemic. Guys, it's still happening. And thank you to all of you who've gotten vaccinated. If you can get vaccinated, please go get vaccinated. I understand that not everybody can get vaccinated due to certain medical conditions, or maybe it's your age. Maybe you're listening and you're 11. I understand. That's frustrating. But that makes it all the more important for those of us who are able to be vaccinated to be vaccinated. Let's do it. Thank you to transportation workers. Thank you to the people who deliver our mail and our packages. Thank you to the people who are working in airports and other places where people are returning for vacations and trips and travel. A, thank you for returning. And B, thank you for keeping those spaces clean and sanitized. I really appreciate you. Thank you to everybody at grocery stores and other shopping areas. Thank you to people who have restaurants and have adapted to make it so that we can return to support you. And thank you to teachers. I hope you are having a very good summer break. And libraries, thank you. Thank you, librarians. I love you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Now here's my check-in. We all got sick in this house. Poor... Ellis brought home a little summer cold from the summer camp. And uh, <laughs> it's just like super horrible runny nose. And I had gotten some texts from some friends who had kids at the same summer camp saying, hey, my kid is home with a runny nose, just giving you a heads up. And everybody went and got COVID tested. So we know that it wasn't COVID. But like Ellis was fine. And then Friday night, I'm putting him to bed. And it just like... It was as if somebody took like a bucket and then just dumped sick on him. Like it, just, it, it, one minute he was not sick, and the next minute he was up all night. Poor baby, and it was just like the super congestion, which is really gross. And I, <laughs> and of course, three days later, Raiden and I had it. Stefan had it very, very, very mildly, so he was president of everything. Yeah, it just was one of those things where it's like, oh my God, we haven't been sick in a year in this house because we haven't gone anywhere because of the pandemic. We just weren't exposed to anything. We were very low risk takers. So it was very weird to suddenly all be sick and gross in the house. And uh, I just handled it the way any professional would. I just turned that television on and we watched so much Ninjago and so much like, uh, no, it was just a lot of Ninjago. We did that. Raiden was very brave to put up with that. But Raiden has learned that any screen is a good screen, regardless of what's on it. So that is where we have been. And the thing about being sick these days is I did kind of want to keep it a secret. I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want everybody to think that we had the COVID, even though we're vaccinated, but the kids aren't vaccinated. Uh, it's very complicated. Nothing like a pandemic to make you stress out about what others will think of you. I think that ties in nicely with what we're going to talk about today with Disha Filiaw, author of the new book, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. 
please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Ms. and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. Guys, I am so excited. <laughs> I am so excited to welcome back Disha Velia, whose debut short story collection, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, won the 2021 Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction, the 2020-2021 Story Prize, and the 2020 LA Times Book Prize, the Art Seidenbaum Award for First Fiction, and was a finalist for the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. The Secret Lives of Church Ladies focuses on Black women, sex, and the Black church, and is being adapted, I bet, for television by HBO Max, with Tessa Thompson executive producing. Disha is also a Cambilio Fiction Fellow and will be the 2022-2023 John and Renee Grisham Writer-in-Residence at the University of Mississippi. Wow! Welcome back, Disha! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Biz. For those of you who have been longtime listeners, or if you're like doing the weird podcast thing where you just start at the beginning and like time means nothing. Disha was back on our show. Are you ready for this? 2013. Episode 29. <laughs> Episode 29. That's crazy. And before we get into how much the bio has changed, though the first one was very impressive too, I want to ask what we asked you once before, who lives in your house? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now it's a little more complicated, <laughs> I think. So first, there's Fudgy, who yes. is my pug, and she's always here. Yes. And then there's my youngest daughter, who is here for two weeks, and then she's with her dad for two weeks. Right. And then my older daughter, you know, she's a full adult, and she's in college, <laughs> and she was with her dad all the time, and she was virtual in college. But when she comes back from vacation, she's going to be living in the apartment that's attached to my house. So technically, she doesn't live with me, but she kind of does. Oh, yeah. You're going to so. always be lurking about. Well, we've been talking about boundaries and not lurking. Nah. We'll see how that works. I'm trying. I'm going to try really hard. But also, you know, I got my own things going on up here. So, you know, yes. I don't yeah, want her lurking up on. here either. Yeah. yeah, don't lurk up here. <laughs> exactly. Anybody else lurking about? No, like right now, Fudgy is staring at me like this. Yeah. You can't see it, but she's like. Fudgy is really an amazing name for a pug, given what yeah. pugs look like. And Well, she's a black pug. Okay. And her brother was Carmel. And he oh, was no. fawn. He's oh, the the tan yes. color. But he passed away in October. Oh, but and so that's part of why she's like she is. She has separation <sighs> anxiety. Oh, baby. So, you know, she's oh. always wanting to be held and rubbed. And somehow <laughs> when I, she probably hears a change in my voice. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, we're doing an event now? Yeah. Are we, are we going? Are we doing Where are we event? going? Yeah. I and, need a little so, hat. Yeah. You know, and so some like she's been on my lap for some of these, but I'm oh, not bet. doing that today. No, no, we're not starting that up again. 
Yes. No. Yes. And the side eye. She's got yeah. the side eye happening right now. <laughs> All right, Deisha, the last time, like I said, you were here. Still a very impressive bio. You were on talking about co-parenting. You yeah. had written the Co-Parenting 101 book, which I remember being so impressed, A, and this is a dumb thing to be impressed by, but just the phrasing co-parenting as opposed to all the other choices of how those things could be said. Yeah. And I've recommended that book so many times with Thank people. You. Because sadly, I have a lot of people. Yeah. Half <laughs> of all couples. Half of all couples. You know, the kids get in your house and it, things get weird. Mm -hmm. So here we are, nine, nine, eight, eight years later. Mm-hmm. And you are a National Book Award finalist. And you have got this amazing collection of short fictional stories, uh, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. You got to, what have you been up to? How did this come about? <laughs> a what little did... busy. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> the co-parenting book was a detour from fiction, which is what I was, oh. what I started writing 20 years ago. And I, you know, I was writing some short stories, but I was really trying to write novels in the beginning. Yeah. But more than anything, I just wanted to get published somewhere, anywhere. Yeah. And so I got this gig online writing as a columnist for this site called Literary Mama. Yeah. And that's when I started writing, um, but mostly about adoptive parenting. And then my ex and I got the idea to start building a brand and working towards a book on co-parenting. And so that was a really long detour away from fiction. And, you know, but in the background, there was always like, oh, I'm going to work a little bit on this novel. I'm going to work on this story. And then the book came out in 2013, the same year I was on your show. And for a couple of years, that was my thing. You yeah. know, I was big on social media with it. We had a couple of speaking engagements, but it, you know, we definitely didn't have the marketing, you know, resources that like my current book has behind it, thanks <laughs> to, you know, the Correct. publisher. That is a... <laughs> uh, so it makes a huge difference. And so right. I, you know, we had the book, but then very quickly it was like, okay, I've got to go on to do other things because I've got to make a living, you yeah. know? And so I started doing freelance, well, not started, but continued freelancing for a while, still working on these stories, still working on a novel. In 2016, I got a nine to five. I went corporate for a little while, but that freed me up from freelancing, which allowed me to finish the collection that I was working on. And so uh, the, you know, the collection is a, a set of nine stories about black women, sex in the black church. And around just before I turned in the manuscript for it, I left my corporate job, literally walked out one day because I had had it like up to yeah. here and I didn't know what, I didn't have a plan. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do. But then I ended up getting, you know, some contract work. So that helped me stay afloat. And then, you know, was like, wait a year and then the book's going to come out. Yeah. And it came out. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, did. it came out with guns blazing as yeah. it were. I know. <laughs> it's so awesome. And okay. I think I know what the secret is that okay. the church ladies mm -hmm. have. And that is a lot of sex. <laughs> Holy, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a back book blurber. Yeah. But here I go. I'm going into the book and I'm like, la, la, la. Whoa, yeah, 
the very first story is titled <laughs> Eula. Yeah. And uh, in my notes here, I literally have sweet Lord. <laughs> I just was like, Ooh. and, and what that first story does, I think really sets this tone yeah. for, for this theme of secrets, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. and it's not, and these aren't necessarily the like secrets, like that I'm keeping from you. A lot of it's like secrets we keep from ourselves. Mm -hmm. In this one, I felt with that one, it was like the secret of living a lie. Mm -hmm. Right? So, okay. And you got, and they're all other kinds of secrets. Where did these start to come from? Yeah, they, you know, each one has its own kind of weird origin story, you know. Yeah. With Eula, it was me thinking about this, you know, so many of the church women of my youth and how when I was a kid and becoming a teenager, I was very curious about them and their sex lives because, you know, church was don't, 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 and you yeah. can't, and you shouldn't, and hell, and damnation, <laughs> and, and <hell>. you know, <laughs> and, and you've got, you know, sex is reserved for heterosexual marriage, and yet there were all of these single women. And so I just wondered, you know, or their husbands had died or whatever. And I just wondered like, well, how did they handle all of these feelings? Cause I'm a teenager and I'm having these feelings and what do you do with these feelings? And do they masturbate? You know, yeah. do they have sex with men on in secret? Do they have sex with women? You know? So even when I was younger, I was very curious about these women's um, sex lives. And then, you know, moving, you know, having had my own life experiences as an adult woman and, writing these stories, I started thinking about how many women, you know, outwardly, it doesn't seem like they're struggling at all. It's like, oh. they're just faithful. And, you yep. know, they, you don't even think that they think about sex or whatever, but I'm like, but they have to, you know, we were built for intimacy. We were built for touch. And so how do these women manage who go years, decades, without touch, without sex. And Turns out they weren't, according to your book. <laughs> they were getting all kind of touch. Well, and that's the thing. So, you know, they're very careful. Like, yeah. you know, I don't want to cause myself to stumble so they avoid men and they avoid certain situations. But who are they with all the time? Other women. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that there would be these two women who in their earnest struggle to be chased as they have been taught that they're supposed to be because they're not married, that they would, you know, have this commitment. But then suddenly it's like, wait a minute, here you are. I'm looking at yep. you. You're looking at me. Yeah. I like <laughs> it all. Like it almost like it doesn't really count yeah. because we're yeah. both women. And yeah. so does it like, like, like I'm going through the story and I keep thinking it's going to go a certain way. And I'm yeah. like, Oh no, one of these, Eula is literally just creating this false world for herself. Thinking, yeah. you know, this, uh, well, eventually I'll find a husband and, and you deserve a husband and we're gonna have, right? And like, at the same time, these two women are very intimate with, very yeah. intimate with each Once other. Once a year. Once, Once a, a year. year. I know, yes. <laughs> but like, it is, again, such a good introduction into these stories. And I got to imagine when you started and you're thinking, you know, through themes, there are a lot of different ways you could go mm -hmm. about 
dealing mm-hmm. with what secret means or whatever. And I know yeah. I'm dumbing it down by saying secret, secret, secret. But but sex is a through line throughout yeah. the, the whole thing, which I think because, is actually really good because you're right. This is what do they do? And, <laughs> and, and it's because the church is obsessed with sex and yeah. specifically with women and sex and women's sexual agency and women's reproduction and all of this. And somebody asked me like, why sex? And I said, well, because of the church, you know, this is, you can't write about women and the church and not write about sex because, you know, there's this fixation on controlling us and controlling our, our, our sex lives and our sexual freedom. And that's why, you know, it was just very natural. It's a very natural topic. But then also the church specifically tries to control people around sex with binaries. You are this or you're that. You know, you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Right. And, and, you know, good, bad, and, you know, the whore Madonna, all of these things. And we know that many of us don't live binary lives. And so you've got instant conflict. The minute you give human beings a binary, there's the conflict of trying to fit when you don't fit. And then trying to hide it or not hide it when you try, when you get free of the binary, that's a story. So there's just so much potential, you know? And so other stories though, had different origins, like well, the right. story Gile. There's a story in the Bible about a woman named Gile. And years ago, I read that story somewhere and I, my mind was blown by how much violence there was. I know there's a lot of violence in the Bible, but I had never read such a violent biblical story that featured a woman killing someone yeah and she nails this guy's head to the floor fucking Medea all like, over it <laughs> yeah and i was like Woo! that's personal you know yeah. so i saved that story that bible story and i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do and then i start sometimes the way i get you know develop ideas is like what if right yeah. so i was like what if somebody gave a kid that name why would you do that who yeah. would do that and what if she was a 14 year old girl and what implications would this name have for her? Because I think names are powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who who was it that named her? Okay, it was this great-grandmother and it was a part of a, a tradition. Well, why is she lives with her great-grandmother? Well, why does she live with her great-grandmother? Where's her mother? And then how do we, what's going on with them? And I got the idea that the great-grandmother's reading the diary. And I remember that that was something that I grew up hearing. If you go looking for something, you're going to find, find it. it. And that's how we started with Granny's voice. And, you know, I was just turning the mattress like I yeah. do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and there was the diary just right there when I turned the mattress. But you know what? You kept coming back to that diary, though. You weren't turning the mattress every day, Granny. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, so we have Granny and she's fretting over, you know, this child who has gone astray. So then I thought, well, we need to hear from Gile. And, you know, what is she saying in this journal that's yeah. got Granny so up in arms? Yeah. Well, <laughs> she thinks that the pastor's wife is fine and has a fat ass. And, like, you know. <laughs> it's so good. And looks like Thelma on Good Times. <laughs> so she's crushing. And then it was just fun from there. It was like, now I got a story, you know, but it's great. Like, and they're <laughs> like, like that one is really fun. And then you've got like the ones where like, what is it? Not Daniel yeah. where it's, that's another situation where like I can, you know, the premise mm-hmm. is basically you're what do adults do who don't really know each other, except for the fact that they are both at hospice with their dying parent. Yeah. Right? Like, 
How do they release this stuff? I loved that story too. And I, I just, I think what was great is that each situation is so not binary. And each yeah. situation calls for the thing that sometimes the stereotype of church does not do, which is understanding all all things going into a larger mm-hmm. picture. Yeah. Because any of these little little bits of the story could spark these reactions mm-hmm. and these actions and these chains of choices. And yeah. Here's a question, though. I need to, I'm wondering as I'm listening, I mean, as I'm reading the book, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, did you, I don't know what your relationship with the church is, mm-hmm. but it does feel like this whole book is a secret. Like, I feel like I, feel yeah. like I need to keep it secret. <laughs> like, this is a very, like, I mm-hmm. would assume a character in this book would not be happy with this book. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, you know, but I've been surprised at how many church ladies have reached out to tell me that they love it. I've done a number of book clubs with, you know, some of the members are church women. I've done a book club with all black women pastors who love the book. I've had people older black women who I was really surprised were into it. And people were doing things like they're like, I sent my aunt, my like holy roller aunt your book and she <laughs> texted me and was like what is this i just read the first place but they keep reading yeah you know they keep because reading because we've all we can all relate to some you know some part of it but for me yes i you know i grew up in the church i don't have what some people call church hurt where like the teachings of the church were very confusing to me and they were very limiting in many ways. And there were a lot of things that over my adulthood that I have unlearned, but you know, for others, you know, the church has done a lot of harm and, you know, the book explores some of that. And so I'm always happy when I hear from readers who tell me that these stories reflected some of their experiences and some of the church hurt that they've had. And, you know, for people who have walked away from the church, they feel very validated. And then also people who remain in the church, the book sort of gave them an occasion to start some what hopefully can be healing conversations about how the church needs to change and and make amends. Yeah, I mean, that, again, that you even can write these stories, right, that shows that there's such a need for people to stop feeling like there's an expectation, like an unrealistic yeah. expectation. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, I mean, that's not just in the church. That's everywhere. Right. Like, and, you know, you make a good point when you say it's everywhere, because I did, I was part of a um, book club discussion, and there was one woman who I could tell was clearly not feeling the book, which is fine. Yeah. And her question for me, she said, you know, do you consider yourself to be inside or outside of the church? And if you are outside of the church, has anyone questioned your right to write about this? And I said, well, I am outside of the church. I have not gone to church for, at this point, 15 years. I stopped going when I was around 35. And I said, but for those 35 years before I was in the church. I said, so I think that is part of what gives me the right. I said, but also the harm and the good that the church does, doesn't stay within the church. It comes out and affects all of us. So everybody then has a right to critique the church. 
Yeah, you can fill church in with a number of different mm-hmm. things, you know, mm-hmm. and like, <laughs> and you can also go back and say it's not just the church who has been for a very long time trying to mm-hmm. control and yeah. state what the rights are for women and their bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I like it all set in the church because I like that little yeah. ladies doing their own thing. <laughs> anyway, was there a story in here that you struggled with writing mm-hmm. or was there one and or was there one that you were like done i know it yeah. like it's possibly you yeah the <laughs> one that i just i feel i felt good about as i was writing it yeah. and just it made me feel warm and fuzzy was how to make love to a physicist like i was so happy that they got to be happy and it was just fun to write there's a lot of sensual detail not just sexual but all of the senses are engaged in that story and and i enjoyed that and it felt right you know when i finished it the one that to this day i still sometimes go yeah i'm not so sure was mm. when eddie levert comes yeah, yeah i felt like is this a story? Am I sure it's a story? What's it about? I don't know. know, (laughs) I struggled to, I knew I kind of had an idea how I wanted it to end, but I didn't know quite how to get there for a while. And I wasn't sure that I had enough stuff, that there was enough conflict, that enough happened in the story. It's a really quiet story. And it's just like quiet people. Like, I'm always like, what are you thinking? What do you want? Are you okay? You know? And so like with a quiet story, it's the same thing. Like, are you okay? Are you sure? Is it right? So that's the one I kind of feel least confident about. (laughs) That's that's one of the ones that I was reading and thinking, oh, this poor daughter. This like part of that story is just how powerful not being seen is and Mm -hmm. This mother sees everybody but her daughter, who Mm -hmm. is the only one taking care of her. Yeah. And that, to me, I just thought, I assume that that is very relatable for a lot of people to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. And it's a quieter story, but like... I heard or read somewhere years ago that women are some of the fiercest guardians of the patriarchy. You know, and so in this story, as you know, you know, daughter is taking care of her mother, but, you know, her mother is convinced that singer Eddie Levert is coming yep. any day now to get her. Yep. She's excited when her son comes son to comes see out. her. And then even Tony, the boyfriend, the daughter's boyfriend or guy, you know, her friend with benefits, you know, when she, you know, she talks and is chatty with him. So even in her dementia, yeah. that, that hard wiring towards men, like, yep. she, you know, you know, mama loves the men. And some of that came from my experience with my great grandmother who had Alzheimer's and she lived with us for a while when I was in college. So I wasn't there full time, but there was a point where there were four generations of us <laughs> in the house, my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mother and me. And she wasn't quite sure who any of us were. Sure. But when I would bring, like I brought home the guy that I ended up marrying, my my co-parent, and she was like, she was so excited. And she was like, I know you. I remember you from Cordell, Georgia. And he had never been to Cordell, Georgia. But like, she just perked right up. Yeah. You know? (laughs) She also said she, because we'd watch television and she'd see Bill Cosby and she'd go, Mm. He's from Cordell, Georgia. Everybody's from Cordell, Georgia. Everybody's from Cordell, Georgia. But they were all men. (laughs) They were all men. And so 
you know, so it's just that, you know, and the frustration that daughter must have felt that like every man, including yeah. Eddie Levert, who Eddie doesn't Levert. know this woman right. exists. Yeah. <laughs> she's her mother's thinking about these guys, but you know, she's the one that's doing the labor. And isn't that how it goes? Yeah. Well, but you know, <laughs> is there, let's discuss, is there not, you know, a way to support the patriarchy by staying in that role, right? Like yeah. not demanding the men to, you know, help out. Help like she out. tries that with her brother. She does. She does. But it's like, you know, still easy for them to like, please do mm-hmm. it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk other things in this journey of writing. Do you have a writing mantra? Do you have mm-hmm. like something that helps you work? I think it's. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot, but like rewriting is writing, you know, learning yeah. to embrace revision. And and that's one of the things that I find that was an early mistake I made as a newbie writer and that a lot of newbie writers make, which is that we want validation so much and validation through getting published and some great writer telling us that our writing is good, that we are focused on the wrong things, you know, and not the work of writing and just revising and polishing and experimenting and trying something else. And just, I mean, that writing is work, Yeah, you know, it is work and it takes time, but it's worth it when you invest in that time. And, you know, I try to still keep learning as a writer you know, learning from other writers. I try to read a lot too. Um, When I've had, you know, looked at other people's writing under different circumstances, I can tell you a writer who doesn't read, you know, Um, just like, boom, I can immediately tell who doesn't read. And, you know, and so just thinking of yourself as always learning, still having things to learn, not at some point you have arrived, right? knowing that we all write drafts that we don't want to see the light of day, <laughs> you know, and that you have to be willing to be messy. I don't write with outlines, for example. I, they work for some people, they don't yeah. work for me, but to put the mess on the page and then shape it up. And then yeah. shape it up and that you can do that. And there's so many rounds of shaping up that you can do. And nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody wants to hear that it's all of that. It's like, damn it, I just want to write the story. And you it know? can be brilliant as soon as yeah. it comes out. And it just, it just really doesn't work like that. Well, that's um, so- a shame. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm trying to be like Toni Morrison, because what Toni Morrison said was that the revising, the rewriting is the part of writing that she's most she was most enthusiastic about. Mm. And that's what I want. And and that's how I feel most of the time that because the the drafting, the getting it down and that stuff, that's torture. Because it's like, what is this going to be? I'm not sure. Like, I've had the same page of notes for months now about this story. And I have an idea of who this character is. And I put her in a situation. And she had a couple of things she had to say. And and now what? I don't know. I I have no idea. And I got to keep just dumping things and asking her questions. You know, sometimes I do like a character sketch. And as I start to find Mm -hmm. things out about the character and answer questions about the character, that gives me some ideas about how to be, because basically what we do is create these characters and then thwart them. 
Yeah. Make them want something <laughs> and then keep it from them over and over again until we finally <laughs> let them have it or don't let them have it ultimately. Like and, yeah, you know, that's it. You know, just like constantly trying to keep your kid from falling down, uh, you know. Well, yeah. actually, it's, it's sort of the opposite. It's like it the anti, kind of the the opposite, anti-parent. Right? Yeah. You just keep letting them fall down the stairs over and over again. And then finally. I'll help you, you up. Yeah, exactly. So, All right. Well, you, so big reader. Yeah. I, I really enjoy short stories because mm-hmm. either short personal essays or short fiction stories. Mm-hmm. And especially with, you know, younger children in the house. Those yeah, are the things I can little, really embrace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who else do you really like right now? Who mm-hmm. who have you found to really be enjoying? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I, the nice thing about when your book gets a lot of awards, other yeah. people send you their books. Their books, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if these will be out by the time this episode airs, but you could probably pre-order them. Oh, very good. There's one by a collection of stories by Destiny Birdsong, mm-hmm. who's a poet. And I love when poets write fiction. I love it. And so she has written a novel in three separate stories called Nobody's Magic. Oh. And there's Southern stories. And yeah. one of the th- things that connects the three women, the main characters in these stories, is that they all have albinism. And oh. so... You know, so it's really kind of it's the stories aren't about them having albinism necessarily. I mean, their whole world's built around it, but that is a factor, you know. Wow. So these stories are just just she just draws you right into these worlds. (laughs) And again, very Southern. So I'm I'm always here for the Southern stories. So I just finished this collection called Walking on Cowrie Shells by Nana Nkwedi. And most of the women characters and girls in these stories are Cameroonian or Cameroonian American. And so, you know, it's a blend of immigrants and American born folks and human beings and supernatural folks. And the stories are really funny. She's got some satire. She's got some young adult lit in there. She's got suspense. She's got sci-fi. Like, you know, she does it all. Like I just came away from this collection. Like, is there anything that she, she can't do? She's got, you know, the elders in there and she's got Gen X uh, or Gen Z, not Gen X. That's us. She's, you know, just the range, you know? (laughs) So it's like, you know, my youngest daughter likes K-dramas and like, there are these characters that like K-dramas and anime and there's Comic-Con in there. So she's got like a lot of stuff going on and it all comes together and there's all this nuance and, and just sensitivity and just really beautiful writing. And you'll be interested in this. There's a theme, some themes that run through a number of the stories around like motherhood and fertility in really kind of unexpected ways. Right. Yeah. So like the, the first story in the collection is called, it takes a village. Some say, and it's satire and she (laughs) somehow brings together. You're not going to put, you're going to be like, you are totally lying. She brings together Findom. Are you familiar with Findom? What is Findom? Financial domination. So it's like a submissive oh. domination thing. Wow. Relationship, sexual with, fetish. With, with international, finances. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> the submissive has to pay and give hey. gifts to the dom. Okay. So And it's a fetish. She brings that together <laughs> with international adoption and like the shady business of international adoption. 
it works. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but it's hilarious. But also oh she's gosh. making some like really important points. Yeah. And there's this white woman who adopts a Cameroonian. Uh, she and her husband adopt a Cameroonian girl. And she's very serious. And she says, people think Bono and Bill Gates are helping the continent, but really it's us. And she- Ow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love oh it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. All right, Disha, I we're going to have to wrap up because I could talk forever with you about I a could. whole bunch of stuff too. I mean like <laughs> we we have to stop, but what I do want to say is good job. I this Thank is you. so great. I like it's so great. This book is so exciting. It's so good. You know, mm. I I love it when good people do good things and the I universe just unfolds itself for them. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, writing a book ain't easy and getting it out Ooh. there isn't easy. And you, you and this book deserve all of the praise that you are receiving. Thank you. And everybody knows where to get a book, but we're going to yeah. link you up to where to get a book. Okay. And we'll link people up to those two stories as well to support other yes. authors. And mm-hmm. and anything else you'd like us to let people know about? I can't wait for this to come on HBO. I'm gonna have to get a oh, subscription I renewed. I can't. I mean, we're gonna have to have you back on to talk about that. Yes, because that's got to yes. be a whole other process that yes. I would love to find just out about. Getting started. We don't have the timeline yet, but I have my co-writer because I'm not an experienced screenwriter, so I have to write with someone. Yeah, and she's fantastic. And so we, you know, just made that partnership happen. So we're formalizing that arrangement now and then hopefully we'll get our marching orders in terms of a you know i need a Love deadline it. i need somebody to, I'm, I'm you know i'm the girl scout tell me when my homework's yeah due. exactly <laughs> well, i'll take forever I well i i also would love to just play fantasy casting with you at some yes. point in time oh. and just pull out the actors names and just be like I, this is you this is i don't know who, who you look at me though i'm actually very torn all right disha thank you so much for joining oh. us and Congratulations. Thank you. And you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. One Bad Mother is supported in part by Dipsy. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by right now. Enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. True story. (laughs) I recently took a little trip, and when I was on that trip, I had a hotel room all to myself. And you know what I did? I listened to Dipsy every night. (laughs) Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. And one of the things that I love the most is you can really set your preferences so that the stories you get are really in your wheelhouse, as it were. But it's also very easy to try a story that's a little different. Woo! For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash badmother. That's 
30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash badmother. dipseastories.com slash badmother. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time. Teresa is still being a genius and hiding in the bathroom. I salute you. Teresa, I hope you've got wine in that bathroom. And now it's time for me to genius me. Wow. Oh my God. Oh my God. I saw what you did. Oh my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh my God. That's fucking genius. Okay. The genius is right when the pandemic was starting, like we hadn't been locked down yet, but like uh, my prepper mind went out and bought a shit ton of cold medication in case we did get sick because I knew that like cold medicine would at least help with some of the symptoms. And ta-da, it's been a year. Nothing has expired, but I reached under that sink, buddy, and I found my stash of children's Tylenol and Mama's NyQuil. And it was a joy. It was joy. My prepping paranoia really paid off just this once. Oh, I have such a genius. I was uh, preparing dinner and I wanted to eat some ice cream, Hmm. but I didn't want to share it with my children because one, there wasn't very much. There wasn't really enough to share. And two, my children shouldn't eat ice cream before dinner. Only me. But the kids were also running around and they might see me. So I took the carton of ice cream and I put it in one half of the sink. And then when I was surreptitiously grabbing a bite as they walked by, they just thought I was washing dishes while I cooked. And they didn't notice at all. And I got to eat my ice cream. It was pretty genius. You are like a genius factory. That is what you are. That is... That just falls into that genius sweet spot of like, maybe before you had kids, you would have found somebody telling you that story very kind of sad. (laughs) But post kids, you're like, oh my God, that is a really great idea. You should write a book about something like that. No, I think it's amazing. And it's a really good idea. And I 100% will be trying that. So thank you very much for your contribution to parenting. You are doing an amazing job. Failures! Fail! 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 You suck. Fail me, me. I'm pretty sure at some point in time I shared how great I was because I'd created a chore chart. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But I did. I had created a chore chart. And the kids were doing it because they wanted money because I pay for chores in this house and they really wanted money and like every week there was a chore one little I mean they were dumb there were simple little chores but it was something every day from setting the table to wiping down the bathroom to you know like just simple stuff and while it's a real pain in the ass to remind them to do it it's still 
were less jobs for me to have to do. And my fail is that it just fell apart so fast over the last like week and a half. Like summer has just made, and especially with everybody being sick. Oh yeah, not a not a single chore done. I didn't even remind people about the chores. I didn't even like tell them. So it's just a full de-evolution of the chore chart. And I know that uh, today's Friday, it's payday. They're going to ask for their pay. And I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, did you do any chores? And then there's going to be a lot of screaming. And I don't really have anywhere to go, guys. I have to just sit here and take it like a big wet sponge. And I don't want to do that either. Can somebody do that chore for me? Hey, y'all. I'm calling in a fail. It's like a small scale fail, though. Like, really kind of a dumb one. I just pulled up to the store to run in and grab animal feed for all of our farm animals and got distracted getting the toddler out of the car and running into the store and making sure everyone had masks on and all that and did all my shopping and, you know, got a few extra things and spent longer than I should have in the store and then was walking out after checking out and had a moment of panic because I couldn't find my keys. Like, anywhere. Nobody had them. Nobody could find them. Get all the way to the car. Yeah, I just left the car running. And unlocked and just sitting there, running away in the parking lot <laughs> while I strolled around the farm store picking up crap that I didn't need. So, obviously, I'm very tired and should have had more coffee before I left because I just let my car run in the parking lot in a busy town for, like, an hour. Cool. I'm going to turn my car off when I get to the grocery store. That's how I'm going to do better. And you all are already doing a wonderful job. Bye. I guess the real question here is, did anybody see you? Because uh, it is, I got to tell you, as someone who has left my keys in the car, who has left my keys like in the lock outside, like the door, left the keys like in the door as if I went to lock it and then just left it. The worst was the time, because I've done it many times and eat or like in the trunk or something. And each time I come back and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe I did that. But the worst was the time where my sister had come to visit me and we went out like just prowling, you know, I was pretending like I was a person and we were going out shopping and looking at things and having lunch. And we came back and I that was when like to the car that was in this parking garage. And that's when I started looking for the keys and I couldn't find them. And we walked up and I was like, oh, there they are, like in the door of my car. <laughs> she was like, Jesus Christ. Rise, I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, ah, nah. and I just thought this is like why people start worrying about other people. So, you know, I, I knew I was all right. I was just a little tired too. So I definitely see you and I can like wholeheartedly agree that it was a fail, that you are failing at going out in the world. Or really, the real fail is thinking that you are just a normal person who can do things anymore. <laughs> you are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you.
One Bad Mother is supported in part by HelloFresh. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. We have thoroughly enjoyed our HelloFresh deliveries. They deliver high quality, pre-portioned ingredients so you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious and you don't have to like run around with like extra parts or pieces that you didn't need. And you know who also has been enjoying HelloFresh? My parents. My parents are older and it is a little harder to get to the grocery store and to plan meals and to make things the way they used to. And they have really enjoyed HelloFresh twice a week. They make solid meals. And I, I just am so thankful that this service is available. So go to HelloFresh.com slash BadMother14 and use code BADMOTHER14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That takes care of summer, doesn't it? That's HelloFresh.com, BADMOTHER14, and code BADMOTHER14 for up to 14 free meals. Hello, I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And we host Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. Every week, we share media that made us who we are. Things like Archie Comics, Sailor Moon, and lots of Taylor Swift. And now that Riley's an adult, it comes with 100% more butts. And now I am totally comfortable with it. So check out new episodes of Still Buffering every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Butts, butts, butts. Join in, Riley. Butts, 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 butts. Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? He's coming back. Or do you mean the fact that Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the ebony enchantress myself, (laughs) Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things. We're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fan-tie it. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. All right, everyone. Let's settle down and settle in for a mom having a breakdown. Hi, guys. This is a rant slash fail. My five-year-old... He he told me the other day that he wanted to grow up and do what I did and be a nothing. And already I've been second-guessing every decision that I've made in my life up to this point. I'm 37, and I feel like I'm going through a midlife crisis um, because I never imagined I have four kids. I have four boys, and it's just, he is the jerkiest of them all. He's <laughs> And then the next next week he he referred to me as hey person who makes the food and <gasps> i just kids are assholes so i just wanted to say that you guys your show has been so validating i've had so many depressing thoughts over the last week and a half because <laughs> he this particular kid is just 
being a total jerk. So thank you for letting me listen and talking about so many varieties of things. Um, and I just been so great to have stumbled upon your show. Have a great day. Thanks. Okay. First of all, you're doing an amazing job. You really are. You are not doing nothing. <laughs> I can guarantee you, you are not doing nothing. You have four children in your house, and that's a lot of children in your house. And I don't even know what all the ages are. I just know that one of them's five, and five is very interesting. Interesting with its own challenges, the five. Okay, there's two types of things kids say to you. One, when they say stuff without knowing that it, it's hurtful, right? Like the, I can totally see that I'm going to grow up and be just like you and do nothing. I can understand that being the kind of thing coming out where they didn't mean it in a mean way. But as an adult, we take it in and we process it and we're like, oh my God, I have nothing. Okay, that's camp A. Camp B is... Sometimes kids are just raging jerks and they do say something that they know is not nice and you feel bad. So that's great. Camp A and Camp B both end in the same thing, feeling bad. So I I just really see you. I And, and there's something like perversely fucked up when your feelings get hurt by your kid because... Your logical brain knows that they're kids, they're, this is developmental, every kid's different. They're, it's really confusing when you've got multiple kids in your house and like one of them behave one way and then the other one behaves the other way. And you're like, no, 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 how come this one was being like really nice and you're not being nice. You're like being really awful. And then you're like, it's really easy to forget that they're just totally different people and and you've been giving them both the same amount of love and support and that still isn't always going to affect how they behave all the time that's a disappointing one i'm really sorry about that one i still deal with that i can't stand it i'm like i'm so nice to you guys why do you guys a always think that i'm gonna be mad and yell at you and why won't you share with me like I, you guys all just come up and want to lick my ice cream cone and if i want like a skittle from your giant bag of skittles you're like no like as if I'm a monster who's going to just down the whole thing in my mouth. And then there's the whole spiral of just like, well, that's it. This is somehow my fault. I've raised them to be crazy. I've raised them to have no respect for me. That's 100% sure. And oh, and they're probably going to behave this way to every person they've ever met. It was funny. I was talking to my mama the other day and she was like, you know, I really didn't care how horrible you guys were to me as long as you went out in the world and were good to others. And I was like, God, that's depressing. That is, <laughs> I don't want to, I didn't want to be awful to you. I'm sure I was, but like, you know, I, I say that because it is sort of all of our fates <laughs> when we let kids into our house and when you're tired and burned out and empty and you're not having a chance to sort of refill, you know, your bucket, as it were, for yourself, it makes it hard to hear when your kid's a jerk. And, and this is something I hate to admit, 
it's really hard to do anything about it sometimes because you're fucking really tired. And you're like, you know, I could easily, there have been lots of times I've been like, do not speak to me that way. That is not acceptable. We will not have that in this house. Then they say something again. And I'm like, what did I say? There will be no TV for you. I'm just so tired. I don't think I can actually, that just means you're going to want to talk to me this whole time. And I don't want to talk to you. I would like for you to, because I'm still mad at the thing you said. Wouldn't it just be easier if you just went and watched television right now? (laughs) So I hear you. I see you. You are not alone. You are not nothing. You are amazing. And you are doing a really, really good job. Everybody, you are also doing an amazing job. It's so funny talking with Disha and after having read her book and just all the things we've listened to together on this show over the years, it's still so true that we sometimes feel we have to live our lives for others or we need to come across a certain way or we're not always really aware of what's happening in someone else's house based on, you know, how we interact with them outside of their house. And I I just feel like that is almost everything that is parenting. So I see you. You're doing a good job. You actually get to do this for yourself, not for others. Your instincts are right. Listen to them. It's not a competition. No one is doing it at you. And most importantly, you are not alone. You are doing an amazing job. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that right. We'd like to thank Max Fun, our producer, Gabe Mara, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Well, daddy, baby, bustin' by, not throw down mama blue. Oh, said daddy, baby, bustin' by, not throw down mama blue. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.